Good, let's pray first. We prayed a lot, but I want to pray again for this message. Let's bow together. Father, thank you again for your son dying for our sins. And thank you for an opportunity to be in your word. And I pray that you would bless it, that our hearts would be receptive, so that you would be magnified in us. We thank you for this time together. Pray this in Jesus' name. Now, if you were to watch TV and look at the different uh, afternoon talk shows, things like that, whatever it might be, uh, Oprah, Dr. Phil, whatever those things are, you'll find there are a lot of people in there that have a lot of problems. And they're really freely declaring their problems, or even their sins in a sense. They're confessing all their issues and problems, whatever it might be. And yet, and I don't recommend you watch it, but yet if you see, you see that there are no solutions to those problems. There are no true lasting solutions to the problems that we encounter and to our sins that we commit. Now last week we saw how to identify misplaced priorities in our lives. Today we're going to see how to correct those misplaced priorities as we look in the book of Haggai and finish chapter 1. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Haggai, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 15, where I believe we're going to see how we are to respond when God clearly shows our, our priorities in our lives as believers are off. Now, as we go through this, I did a very long context last week, so if you want to uh, get the historical background of the nation of Israel up to uh, the book of Haggai, I did an overview of that, and feel free to get that CD. They're out in the back there. So today I'm not going to go as far in that context, but I want to just briefly bring us up to where we are in the book of Haggai. Remember, the book is named after the prophet Haggai. And Haggai is one of the most precisely dated books in the Bible. There are four sermons given by Haggai, and the dates of each sermon are given to the exact day. Now, all of the sermons are dated within the second year of Darius the king, and it is well known that King Darius uh, began his reign in 522 B.C. Therefore, all of these messages by the prophet Haggai took place in 520 B.C., with the first sermon, which we saw last week, and we'll see this morning, taking place on, on from if you convert the calendars to uh, to our calendars, August 29th, 520 BC. Now let's take a little broad brush and look at the broad context of what's going on. After the Israelites had uh, gone in the conquest of Canaan, the Jews were in the land for 490 years. After Solomon died, the king was the kingdom was divided, northern kingdom being Israel, southern kingdom being Judah. And during the time leading up to their exile, God sent prophets such as Isaiah and Jeremiah to warn Israel and Judah respectively of the coming destruction. And because they did not repent, Israel was taken into captivity, the northern kingdom, by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And soon after, Judah would be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And there were three sieges and three deportations. The first deportation took place in 605-606 B.C., with the last one culminating an 18-month siege in 586 B.C., where we have the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, the Israelites being in captivity for 70 years... When the Persians uh, defeated the Babylonians in 539, as the prophet Isaiah had, had prophesied, Cyrus took over, 
and changed the foreign policy concerning captive peoples in 538. And he decreed that the Jews, the devout ones who wanted to worship the Lord, could return to their homeland and rebuild the temple. This is Ezra chapter 1 and through chapter 3. And about 50,000 devout Jews who, 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 who were stirred up by the Lord left a very comfortable life that had, they had had in Babylon and went back to, uh, to Israel and specifically to Jerusalem. And they went back to obey the Lord that they could worship him. And within a year they had begun and uh, brought forth and laid the foundation of the temple. We have that in Ezra 3, verses 8 to 10. Unfortunately, Ezra records that there were some difficulties. There was an injunction by the Persian Empire, emperor. There was uh, some, some obstruction from the local Samaritans. And they stopped uh, the building of the temple at that point. Now, it was, it was understandable with those insurmountable obstacles that that happened, but those obstacles were eventually removed. And then 16 years went by, and they hadn't gotten back to the work that they had left Babylon to do. God had called them out of Babylon. They had answered the call and left, and they were about his business, but his business lay there for 16 years. You can kind of see the parallels with us. We get called out of darkness into his marvelous light. He calls us to serve and worship him, to trust him, to obey him, to follow him. And we can get distracted. Even those who desire to follow him wholeheartedly, we can get distracted. And years can go by and we don't realize until God begins to discipline us, as we'll see in today's passage. So with that in mind, the Jews failed to restart the work and they began to experience the discipline of God on their on their lives. It's been 16 years, and that's where Haggai comes in. Now, what we see today is the second portion of one sermon, which encompasses all of chapter 1. So I'm going to review briefly what we saw last week in verses 1 to 11, and then we'll get into our passage in verses 12 to 15. Look at uh, verse 1 of Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying... Now, you might remember from last time we saw that uh, if there would have been a king at this time, Zerubbabel would have been the king of Judah. But they were under the, uh, the, the rule of, of Cyrus, so there was no king. He was the governor. And so we have the man who would be king, and then we have Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. These are the leaders. And the word of the Lord came to them, through it was through Haggai. And look at verse, uh, verse 2, the priest saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of armies, that's the, the one who is sovereign, who has the strong arm, who is, who is watching over this small group of people who are in the midst of a very powerful uh, place of so those enemies. This people says... Now, speaking of his people, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house, this house lies desolate? We saw this. It's not a good sign. These are people, these are the ones who are the most devout, the following the Lord the most, who left everything to obey him. And now time has gone by, and God says, through Haggai, this people, there's a distance. 
Later on, we'll see he calls them my people when they're obedient. He says, this people, this people says. And what does they say? What do they say? The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be built. They understood what they were to be doing, but they believed it wasn't God's time yet for it to be rebuilt. This time hasn't come yet. And then notice we see the Lord address their actions then verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, saying, the prophet saying, uh, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? The word of the Lord, it's, it's God's word through Haggai. Listen up. And we saw last week in detail that their priorities were backwards. They were about their own lives rather than about what he had called them to do. The focus was upside down. They were about the things of their own lives. Now, we talked about, is God against houses and things like that? No, he's against those things when our hearts are not right, when he is not the center of it, when he is not our focus, when we are not living for him, when we are living for self. And he says here, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses? And again, the idea of paneled houses, that was expensive in those days. Wood was not easily obtained in Jerusalem. If you look back when they first built the temple, they had to get all that wood from Lebanon. It was not easily attained. So for them to have nice paneled houses, it meant they were spending time and money and focus on their own houses. We see the Lord says, Is it time for you to do this when this house lies desolate? Or the word speaks of ruin. Speaks of ruin. They had been called out of their existence in Babylon to serve the Lord to rebuild his temple. Just as we have been, as we see, called out of darkness into light, that we would be the temple of the living God, that we would be built up, that we would glorify him, and we can get distracted and be about our own business, the things of our own lives, and forget what God is doing individually in believers and corporately together. So let me ask you this. What are your priorities in life? What do you focus on? What is your focus day to day? Is it about the Lord and his work through you and whatever it might be, building you up personally to become more and more like Christ, building you up in the body of Christ, to live a life committed to Christ in every aspect of your life? Or is it about the things of this world, the stuff that you think about every day, day in and day out, the things that the Gentiles eagerly seek? We are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the other things will be added. Is building your own house, and it's a metaphor in a sense for what we see in other portions of Scripture, is your own life more important than uh, what God has for you? Are your own plans more important to you than the Lord's plans? Is your schedule more important to you than the Lord's schedule for your time? Are you submitting those things to Him? Are you saying, well, it's not time yet? For me to do these things. So how do we identify misplaced priorities? First of all, we need to listen to the word of the Lord. We need to let God lay his word over our hearts that we would be responsive. And notice what we saw last week also, that there are symptoms of misplaced priorities. Look at verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Set your mind or your heart upon the path of your feet. 
the way you live your life every single day. Think about it. And think about, as we're going to see, maybe the consequences of, as God will share in a minute, the things he is doing to thwart you that you might wake up and realize you're not about his business. Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. Very interesting. He who earns, earns wages to put it in a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Later on, we're going to see that the Lord called for a drought. The Lord was causing these things. You're not satisfied. And, and, and the things that you do have are slipping through your fingers. Is that what your life is like? God is gracious. If you're about his business, these are the devout followers of, of, of the Lord, by the way. These were not the ones who were living their own lives. They left everything. But as with all of us, you want to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. We can be distracted. We can be distracted to our own lives so easily. And, and time starts to march by. And here, 16 years had marched by. And God was addressing it. A gracious God. Give your ways the utmost attention and reflection. Think about it. Think about the path of your life. Notice they had a lack of satisfaction. We saw that. They, 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 they harvested and they harv- they've sown much. They harvest little. They eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. There's not enough to become drunk. They drink. They put on clothing, but no one's warm enough. That doesn't make sense. They have clothing, but they're not warm. He's talking about a lack of satisfaction. We know that, right? When our hearts are not right with God, we just are looking for that next event in life to, to work out or whatever it might be. And, and maybe it does and we're not satisfied. Maybe it doesn't slips through our fingers. This is to people who are following the Lord. And this is to us. If you're following the Lord, it is so easy for us to be distracted from his, his uh, plan for us. Well, are you dissatisfied with life? Are you always looking for the next thing to bring you happiness or whatever it might be? Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Now, God is gracious. He doesn't leave them in the dark, and he doesn't leave us in the dark about what he actually wants. He doesn't say, consider your ways, and this is happening, and, but I'm not going to tell you what you should be doing. No, he's not like that. He is a gracious God who tells us what we should be doing. You notice he tells them what they should be doing. Verse 8, go to the mountains... Bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and glorified, says the Lord. Go be about the business I called you out of Babylon to do. I stirred up your spirits. You obeyed the call and you went out and left. Be about that business. Be about that business. That I, God says here, may be pleased with it and glorified. Be about the business. Go bring wood, rebuild the temple what they've been called to do. Now, I shared last week, uh, we're not in the dark as the church now, which was a mystery at that time that was revealed concerning the temple of God. We have that imagery throughout the Old Testament. We have the imagery of the Old Testament temple, and I shared that uh, God does not dwell in temples made of human hands, but there was a tabernacle, and the purpose of that tabernacle and the temple was to give a visible picture of heavenly realities. You can look at that in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. And it was also that God would identify with his people his, and personify his presence where they could see the manifestation of his glory. They could see that God was with them. 
And it was also the temple in which they brought forth the sacrifices as, as, as uh, pictures and, and, and uh, shadows to point to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. It was a picture. And we know that. That we would see that Christ, who died for our sins, the ultimate manifestation of his glory. Of his glory. Now today, we know that believers in the body of Christ, we are the temple of the living God. We are the place in which God dwells on earth. First Corinthians chapter 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? That the Spirit of God dwells in you? Don't you know that? God's Spirit dwells in believers. When you trust as Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you believe in Him, you receive the forgiveness of sins, we are placed into the body of Christ. His Spirit indwells believers. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Or do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. So we are to glorify God with our actions. We are to glorify God. And we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll look at this later, that we are like living stones being built upon the foundation, Christ being the cornerstone, that we would offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. We are the temple of God. We are, as we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, the priests who offer those sacrifices to God because of Jesus. We're the temple of the living God. And he manifests and dwells in us so that he would be glorified in our lives. And as we're going to see, he's only glorified when we're about his business, trusting in him. He's only glorified when that happens. So they were to complete the temple so that God could visibly identify with them and reveal his glory. And we should be about the building of his temple, which is us. We see that in scripture, the body of Christ. We are to be about the master's work, bringing him glory individually and corporately. Look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he is talking about uh, the building up of the body of Christ. He is addressing their pride because they got all prideful in the in the people who were coming alongside them they started to follow men that's always a problem because if you follow a man long enough they're going to sin and then you're going to not follow him anymore right so they start to follow i'm of paul i'm of apollos i'm of all this stuff there and paul makes the case hey i'm nothing basically god did it through me through his word and then he continues to make that case in first uh, corinthians 3 this is verse uh, 10 According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. He's saying each man. He's talking to the Corinthians. There are certainly those in the body of Christ that have gifts to build up the body of Christ, but we personally build upon that foundation, as we're going to see. He says, for no man, but let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation, it's an example. It's like an analogy. It's a metaphor. The foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as through fire. 
Do you not know you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? God is building us up, making us more like Christ, that he would be glorified. And that's what he's about in our lives, individually and corporately in the body of Christ. And we can get sidetracked into our own lives, just like we were before we were Christ's, where we so subtly the focus of our life becomes our lives rather than Jesus who leads us on the path which he desires us to have. You see, we need to glorify God in the context of his word, trusting him, allowing him to build us up. The Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians that we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord, chapter 2, verse 19, or verse 21, in whom you are being built together as a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And this is a passage I mentioned earlier, but turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Hold your fingers in Haggai. And I want to point out what we learned a few months ago here. It's so easy, brothers and sisters, to be about our own interests rather than his interests. You know, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your hearts, then his interests will become our interests. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, And coming to him, speaking of Jesus, as a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, speaking of believers, as living stones are being built up upon a spiritual, as built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are being built up as we, we came to him by, by, by the word of God. We were born again and we, we grow in respect to salvation, yearning for the pure milk of the word. And God builds us up. But sometimes that building project is just sitting there in the foundation. And we are not about his work. We are not growing in the Lord. We're just growing in our own focus. We may come to church. We may read our Bibles. We may whatever it might be. One pastor writes, this is right up to date, isn't it? That calling us back to the great principle in the New Testament, reminding us that we are not our own, but we were bought with a price. We belong to him. We are here to advance his cause, his interests. We are here to build the house of God. That's why he has left us here in this world, so that we might be his instruments in the work of erecting this great temple of human beings, which we be which we will be and are the habitation of God, the dwelling place of God. Is that first in our interests? Is that first in our interests? God has primarily called us to be about building the house of God. That's speaking of the body of Christ. That's individually. Not the brick and mortar building, but the church of God. And the great question Haggai confronts us with is how can we find time, how can we find time to advance our own interests so eagerly, so carefully, so thoughtfully, spending so much time thinking about them, advancing our own material gain, and then excuse ourselves from the work of building the house of God, saying it isn't time yet? I agree with that. I agree with that. That's what Haggai's saying here. So we are the temple of the living God. We are his church. We are being built upon Christ, the foundation. And I ask you, is the work of his ministry, of his word in your life, building you up? Are you being built up individually, more like Christ each day? Is your life being built up at home, at work? Is Christ a priority to you? If not, you will be dissatisfied with life, and God, a gracious God who loves you, will put his disciplinary hand upon your lives. Therefore, consider your ways. You know, we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We're not to lean on our understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledge him. 
Proverbs 4.26, watch the path of your feet and on all your ways will be established. We should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Could God be saying to you and I, what is the condition of my house? What is the condition? How is my work going in you, in your home, in your neighborhood, your workplace, your church, the thing you were set apart for? to glorify me, that I would be pleased. What is the condition of my house? Is God saying that to you? What should be our priority? That he is pleased and glorified. And folks, when we realize that's not happening, it's so wonderful, we confess and we're forgiven. We're forgiven and God takes us from that point and works in our hearts so graciously and so mercifully. So we saw one misplaced signal of misplaced priorities was a lack of contentment, dissatisfaction. But notice it really speaks of of his disciplinary hand. Back in Haggai, verse uh, 9 of chapter 1. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away, declares the Lord. Because my house, which lies, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each one runs to your own. You're spending your time on your own life, and it is more important than what I called you out of darkness into light for. Therefore, because of you, he's saying, I did it, but because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on the ground, which produces on men, on cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Now Israel was in a covenant with the Lord, and God had made it clear back in Deuteronomy, if they were disobedient, he would not bring the rains. He would not bring them prosperity in that sense. And he was doing that to them, and he was disciplining them. Now his discipline in our lives looks different. But we should be asking when things go difficultly. Certainly we have trials. We all encounter those. Not saying every trial is God's discipline certainly, certainly isn't, right? We all have trials and temptations. But sometimes... Those trials or whatever it might be, they are God's disciplinary hand in our lives. And he is saying, consider your ways. He's saying, consider your ways. Is his way your way? Is his priorities or are his priorities your priorities? So are you pleasing and glorifying God? Are you about the master's work personally and corporately? Are you about that? If not, life is just going by and God is letting you experience his discipline for them. I, I find it very interesting that this message comes 16 years after they stopped. You know, God's timetable is not our timetable. So how is the condition of his house? We're to consider our ways. And that leads us to our passage today to finish up this chapter. We're going to see the people's response. We're going to see how we are to respond when God shows you your ways are wrong. You're convicted. My life is not sold out to you, Lord God. I'm really about my own stuff day in and day out. And here we're going to see how to respond. Notice, first of all, they immediately heard with the intent of obeying. This is verse 12 of chapter 1. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Those are the leaders. With, now, notice this. They were involved. They had been hearing this, this, this too. With all the remnant of the people, notice that word remnant, they were the, the little tiny bit left that followed Jesus. They left, they left, they followed the Lord, they left Babylon. The remnant of the people did what? Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence 
before the Lord. Here's the right response. These are true believers convicted by the word of God and responding rightly. We have Zerubbabel, the man who would be king, the governor, and we have the high priest Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and we have the remnant with all the remnant of the people. That's everybody. And notice, they obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. A minute ago, God was saying, this people, and now they are the Lord. They they obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. You see, when you're a true believer in a strained relationship with the Lord because of sin, not about his business, you can be restored right away. Be restored right away. They obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. Notice they obeyed the voice. This term obey is an interesting word. It comes from the Hebrew word shema. It means to, to basically listen in a sense. To listen, obviously, with the intent of obeying. That's why it's translated so often, obey. Let me share some passages. Actually, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hold your hand in Haggai. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Famous uh, Shema here. Hear, O Israel. Shema. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with eh, half your heart, right? No, all your heart, all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And the words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. The term, as we're going to see in a moment, to hear also is translated many times obey, as it is in our passage. They obeyed. They listened with the intent of obeying. In fact, obedience is so wrapped up in the meaning of this word, it's often translated as we have in our passage, obedience. Look back a little bit in Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5, verse 1. Then Moses summoned Israel, all Israel, and said to them, Shema, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking to you in your hearing, that you may learn and observe them carefully. Listen that you may learn and do. Do you come to God's word and listen that you may learn and do what he says? Do you have a heart when you come to church? I want to learn. I want to do what he says. I, I want to do that. That's what it means. Deuteronomy 6.3, I'll read it to you. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may go well with you. Listen and be careful to do. The idea of hearing has the idea of listening with the desire to hear to do what is said. And we understand this when we talk to our kids. We say, listen to mommy or daddy. Well, we're meaning listen so that you'll do what we say, right? That's what we're saying. Listen carefully. Now notice what they were to listen to. It was God's voice, his word sent his way. We have a way of perverting that process, don't we? of having God's word come our way, the way we want to hear it. But it was sent his way. It was sent his way. Notice verse 12 begins with then. Then. It speaks of consecutive action in Hebrew. It's a vibe consecutive. There was no delay in their response. They were cons- to consider their ways, and they, 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 they did. They did. The people listened to, notice, the voice of the Lord their God. And notice he says here, Well, did they literally listen to his voice? No. They listened to the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. 
You see, we have two parallel statements. God spoke through Haggai the prophet. That's how God spoke to them. And notice it says, They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. God sent Haggai to share the word of God. He did it his way, and they listened to obey. They listened to obey. And folks, they recognized that Haggai was sent from God. They listened with the intent of obeying. And so often we fall short and we don't recognize that whether we like the person or not, whatever it might be, if they're sharing the word of God, it's God's word. And we need to listen. And we need to listen. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 33. There are some people that kind of like to hear, you know, expository sermon. They come and they, they enjoy it. It tickles their ears. They think it's really great, but they don't listen with the intent of obeying. They want to hear the, the word or whatever it might be, but they don't. Haggai, we see all, um, Ezekiel had that issue also. Ezekiel 33. Some people come to listen, but not with the intent of doing what God says. Ezekiel 33, verse 30. Now this is back when uh, the Babylonians were in the land a few, maybe 30, 40 so years, 50 years earlier, whatever it might be. It's not seven, at least... Maybe 50, 60s, but not more than 70. Ezekiel 33, verse 30. But as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who walk, who talk about you by the walls and the doorways of the houses, speak to one another, each brother saying, Come now and hear the message which comes forth from the Lord. That sounds good, right? Hey, let's go hear God's word coming forth, right? And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people and hear your words. But notice what he says. But they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their own mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. And behold, you are, like, you are to them like a sensual song, one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. Or, for they hear your words, but they do not practice or do them. So when it comes to pass, and surely it will, then they will know a prophet has been in their midst. Hey, when God's word really does come to pass, they'll know that that was God speaking through Ezekiel there. Not the case here in Haggai. Not the case. They heard it with the intent of obeying. Their hearts were right. They responded rightly. Now implied in this is the considering of their ways. Implied in this is the acknowledgement they're not doing the right thing as we're going to see. You know, sometimes we have to we think, I've got to say, okay, I need to say I repent here. No, it's just a heart change. I'm going the wrong way, Lord. And I believe what you said, and I was wrong. There's the implication that they understand that. And it says, they all obeyed. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of that prophet back in Haggai, Haggai the prophet, as the Lord God had sent him. You see, the Lord God sends people to share his word. And he has declared how he wants his word proclaimed, by the way. New Testament. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, this is how you should be doing this. This is what you should be doing. This is God's way of how it's done. And notice he doesn't say, Timothy, sit on a chair and discuss issues with the congregation. He says, preach the word. He says, preach the word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. 
Reprove. That, that means expose. Rebuke. Exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths or stories. We see that happening all the time. But that wasn't happening here. We know that uh, Paul said that uh, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man, that we present every man completing Christ, God's building program, right? Some of you are not obeying the voice of the Lord because you're not listening to the people who are presenting his word his way. You're listening to people that present things the way you want to hear it. God's word shows how his servants are to declare his word. It shows. So then what's the proper response? They heard the voice in the word given his way, and they listened with the intent of obeying. That's the first step in responding rightly when God is exposed your life is wrong. When you really want to follow the Lord... We want to follow the Lord. That's the first step. One pastor writes, they listened intently, which is translated obey. The heart of the word means to take God seriously, that you hear intensely at a deep level what he's saying. The reason this is hearing based is could be translated obey is that you've already decided that you're going to do what you hear. Make that decision. I'm going to do what God says. I want to do that. They listened the intent of obeying. And again, that's exactly what we expect with our kids. Listen up, that they would do what we say, right? You know, Jesus often said, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears to hear. They had ears to hear in Haggai. They had ears to hear. Now, one quick note. You need to be in the Word and in a, in a church that's teaching the Word of God, obedient to the Lord, and you need to be in it personally to, to respond, to hear it His way. You see, God's Word is powerful, Hebrews chapter 4, it's like a sharp two-edged sword able to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. In Isaiah 55, the Lord shares how his word goes forth. Let's turn there, Isaiah 55, verse 10. Isaiah 55, verse 10, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without water in the earth and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, verse 11, so shall my word which goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter in which I sent it. As you read the word of God, when you open up your Bible in the morning, whatever it might be, you read your smartphones, the Bible apps, whatever it might be, do you come to it with a heart, I want to obey what you say, Lord God. I want to obey what you say. Do you come to church with that attitude? I want to hear what you want to say through your word, and I want to do it. I want to do it. You know, a long time ago and a long time ago, I was in a skydiving class. First time I ever went skydiving. And as they were sharing the class, I wasn't a believer. thought I was, but I wasn't. They're sharing all the things you got to do so that you don't die, by the way. Right? And I'm sitting there like this, glued to the instructors, the whole class. And there's this guy goofing off, not paying attention. Well, sure enough, when we went out of the plane... This guy didn't know what he was doing, and he flew straight into the face of a barn, and he got hurt badly. could have died. My point is that when you recognize something's important, you listen very intently. And hopefully you're doing so with the Word of God, the most important. Most important. Okay, so how are we to respond? First of all, listen with the intent of obeying. And then notice, back in our passage in Haggai, in the end of verse 12, it says, And the people showed reverence. For the Lord, 
reverence. The term translated reverence here is the term from the Hebrew that means to fear. They feared the Lord. They feared the Lord. Exodus 20.20 makes it clear that you can see this word translated in different ways. Same word translated two different ways. One is fear shaking in your boots. Another one is reverence for God that we might not sin. Turn to Exodus 20.20. It's a good passage to remember how this word is used to understand it rightly. Showing reverence and fear for God doesn't mean we're shaking and afraid. doesn't mean that. Exodus 20.18. I'll actually go back a little bit. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain of smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance, and Moses said to them, and they said to Moses, excuse me, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And notice what he says here. Moses says to the people, do not be yare, do not be afraid. Okay? God has come to test you so that the yare or the fear of God will be with you, will be with you to keep you from sinning. You see, a right reverence for God is seeing him rightly, seeing God rightly, seeing ourselves rightly, seeing him as as the God of the universe, reverencing him. One pastor writes, to fear God means to acknowledge his superiority over man, to recognize his deity and thus respond in awe, humility, worship, love, trust, and obedience. And I would add respect. Now, if you're not a believer, you have no fear of God before your eyes. You don't fear him at all. You're just cruising on your life. You don't fear him at all. It's evident. But when we're forgiven, we're forgiven that we might fear the Lord. Psalm 130, there is forgiveness in thee that thou mayest be feared. Thou must be revered. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we now have the ability to reverence God, to see him rightly because we see ourselves also rightly. We are to conduct our lives in this day on earth in fear, First Peter chapter 1, knowing the price that was paid for the forgiveness of sins. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians chapter 2. We are to reverence God and see him rightly. And guess what? When you're responding to God's word, there's going to be obedience, desire to obey, and a reverence for God. That's when you can know you're actually responding rightly. That's when you can know. We see that. We see that. They listened intently to obey. They feared and reverenced the one who spoke to them, hearing and fearing. Are you hearing and fearing the Lord? Are you hearing his word and fearing him? That's the first response we have when God reveals misplaced priorities when we consider our ways. Notice we have God's response afterwards, and what a blessing this is. Look at verse 13 back in Haggai. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. Tremendous. Now in the NESB, which I'm sharing here, it says Haggai, the messenger of the Lord. And the word commission could probably be, it's a, it's a cognate of the word messenger. You could say it this way, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke the message. Indeed, the... Uh, New King James says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message. I think that's a better translation. 
So they are responding, and guess what? They get a message from the Lord. They get a message from the Lord, and what is it? Really wonderful. I am with you. I'm with you. Things are right between us now. They weren't right before. This people, things are right. I am with you. I am with you. Now, this is interesting. Does this mean that God was not with them? Uh, We know that for believers, we have the Spirit of God within us. These are Old Testament believers, but uh, we know even from the Old Testament, it's quoted, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Quoted in Hebrews is an Old Testament verse. God will never leave you. He wasn't going to leave them. But I believe when we are not about his priorities, he is not uh, acknowledging what we're doing as right. He's not with us in that. I'm not with you in what you're doing. This people does this. I'm not with you. You'd be about my business. I am with you. I am with you. God is with you when you're about what his business is. You know, it's wonderful to understand that God is with us when we're doing what he wants us to do. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, do not fear, do not be afraid, but uh, he says, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. He says, I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will hold you with my righteous right hand. God is with you when you want to do the right thing. When you just acknowledge in your heart, I'm going the wrong way. I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm about my own business. I want to do your will, and I, I, I praise you and, and worship you. First Chronicles uh, chapter 20 Eight twenty. Then David said to his son Solomon, "Be strong and courageous." And he says, "And act. Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until the work of the service of the house of the Lord is finished." He says. David says to his son Solomon. We know from Matthew twenty-eight, right? What do we know from the from the Great Commission? Matthew twenty-eight. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Turn there. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 28.19 Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, teaching them to obey. Right? And he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, let me ask you, what do we need most when we decide to do what God wants us to do? We need him. We need him. We need his presence. We need his, his, his approval in that sense that we are doing what he wants us to do. I am with you. I approve it. That's what I want you to do. I am with you. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke the message of the Lord to the people and said, I am with you. That's the response. The first thing God's response, you get your heart right, I'm with you. We're walking the same way again. Right? I'm with you. And then notice he also encourages them and empowers them, which is amazing. You have the encouragement, I'm with you, but notice he empowers them. Verse 14, so the Lord, so the Lord, that's the great I am, that's the Yahweh, the great I am, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. He stirred them up. He changed their hearts. Stirred them up. It's the same stirring up we saw in in Ezra. They were stirred up to leave Babylon and to serve the Lord, to go rebuild the temple. You hear him, you fear him, you know he's with you. He stirred up their hearts. 
You know, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. Same time period, uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Same time period. I'm going to do it through you. He stirred them up. I'm going to see he's going to do it. When we hear in fear, then all heaven breaks loose and comes to our aid to do what he wants us to do. Second Chronicles 16.9, I love this passage. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I'm with you. I strongly support you. Isn't that wonderful? We have the assurance of his presence and of his power. Now we know we're not adequate to consider anything coming from ourselves. We know apart from Jesus we can do nothing, but he is assuring them and he assures us that when we want to do what he wants us to do, he's going to empower us to do it. He stirred them He stirred them up. And notice the tremendous result, verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, the spirit of the remnant of the people. And what's the result? And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They did what he wanted them to do. They did what he wanted them to do. They worked on the house. They were about his house rather than focusing on their house. Amazing. Remember back in verse 8, he said what he wanted to do, go to the mountains, bring wood, rebuild the temple that I may be pleased and glorified. And what happens? When their hearts were changed, they, they heard the word, they, they considered their ways, God's word. Their hearts were changed. They revered God. God empowered them. He gave, shared his presence with them. He empowered them. And then they went about his work. They came, end of 14, and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. His work done by his people with his strength for his glory. And notice the side reference to the date, verse 15. On the 24th day of the sixth month of the second year of Darius the king. Now this reveals that this working began 23 days after uh, Haggai had done that, and God had, within that, stirred their spirits to do the work. God stirred their spirits. Some would say that the distance reveals that they really weren't responding, that they didn't have hearts that intended to obey. I don't believe that's right. I believe this, what the Scripture says. They heard it. They desired to obey. They feared the Lord. God encouraged them. He empowered them. And he stirred them up, and then the work began. The work began. Well, what about you and I, brothers and sisters? In Ezra chapter 6.14, it says, And the elders and the Jews were successful in building the temple, through the, or building the, through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet. God's word worked in their hearts, and they got about God's business, and it was built. What about you and I? Are we about God's business? Are you considering your ways? These are the devout ones who really were following the Lord, by the way. They were the ones who left everything in Babylon, but yet they got sidetracked. This message is, is not to those who are playing the phony Christian thing, who don't care, who could care less about God, who, who don't care. These are those who have, I've decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, I still will follow. The, and and they, yet they got sidetracked, like all of us get sidetracked. And they allowed God's word to, to work in their hearts that they would consider their ways. And they heard with the intent of obeying. And they feared the Lord and God encouraged them and empowered them. And they got about and obeyed the Lord. How about you and I? 
We slip so easily in our hearts every day. We need to renew our minds with the word. I do. I don't know about you. I know myself. It's so easy for my heart to, to stray away from, from what God has truly intended for me to think about and be focused on. So easy. You need to be in the word of God. Have a right heart. Now, some of you are like these people here. It's been 16 years. You haven't followed the Lord really honestly for 16 years or maybe more. You do know the Lord. You did trust him. But your life is not about his business. It isn't. It really isn't. Consider your ways. And if you respond rightly, you'll see what we saw here. A response of, of reverence and obedience and listening, desiring to obey. And God will encourage you. And God will be with you. And he will enable you to do what he calls you to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your faithfulness that uh, you take those whom you love and you discipline. I thank you for the example of discipline in the lives of these true believers in the book of Haggai that you called upon them through your, your word to consider their ways, and they did. They did, and they responded. And they responded with the intent of obeying, and they feared you, Lord God. And Father, I thank you that you comforted them, that you were with them, and you enabled them and stirred them up to obey, and they did. Father, may we learn the lesson as the temple of your of you, that you want us to be about your business, Lord, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. I pray for anyone here who hasn't been doing that, that today would be the day that there's a turn, and they would be comforted that you are with them and they would be enabled and then would begin as you open the door to be about your business. And Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you. There's probably some, Lord. I don't know. You know the heart. I pray that you break through the heart of stone, that you would reveal sin and you would reveal your glorious son, Jesus, who paid the full penalty and they would humble themselves and truly trust in Jesus and then be about your business, Lord God. Thank you for your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.